You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. All right, Primal Radio, we are back. Tom, happy new year, man. How'd the holiday go? Happy New Year. Yeah, awesome, man. I, I went down to Romania with Doc Watson, spent a bit of time yeah. in the snow and all that kind of thing. It was uh, refreshing. Yeah, it looked great. How did, so Doc flew from Japan to Romania to spend New That's what, Well, he, he came via London, so the Doc's oh. wife is Romanian. Her family has a farm there in, in the west side of the country, which is kind of very rural. Yeah traditional farming methods all that kind of thing and right, right. It, what i love about it is that it couldn't be more different to london they look great there's a lot of wilderness and uh, it's magical i mean Mag- it's like, magical genuinely yeah it's like having a date with me for a reference for an old show no, well look it looks like a good time but anyway man, it looks good to, good to talk to you good to good to be back we gotta look I, what, a couple more things before we get our, our special guest on we did the countdown the 12 top shows of last year that was great tom good job organizing that and i people were asking me i had no idea what the order was you did not give me that information so i found out when our millions of fans found out (laughs) that's what i found out and nick Hughes was number one that's right that's right yeah great show great book great guy really excellent but anyway and john berardi number two a close number two very close and catching up people are still listening to that show wow so he might pass them by but it's too late now. The, the award has been given. That's right. Oh, it's, it's too late. There's always next year. John will be back on next year and talk about other stuff. But anyway, so, look, we're back. We're back with our very first guest of the year. And this is a guy who really has trained with God. Everybody on the planet has traveled the world. Got a hell of a story. Great guy. Welcome, Mike Belzer. How you doing, Mike? Hey, Happy New Year, Jim. Happy New Year, Tom. Happy, happy New, New Year, year. sir. Well, look, we've been trying to get Tom actually was the one trying to facilitate this for quite some time. What took us so long? Was it scheduling on both of our parts or um, there's a few components to this story? So our good friend Hock Hockheim said to, after we'd done a show with him, uh, which right. also made the top 10. Right. He said, you've absolutely got to speak to two people. One was Mike Gillette. We had a great show with him. And the other one was uh, Mike Belzer. And we talked about doing it. And then you had... <laughs> your uh, little comedy episode of uh, right. of disappearing off the radar for a while. And for some reason, when you came back, I then didn't manage to get it scheduled. And actually, to be fair, Mike's always traveling. So that, that was another element. So lo- lots of things conspired, but, you know, a great way to start the new year. It is great for a show. How's it feel to be on the show, Mike? <laughs> awesome. I can't, awesome. I can't wait for it to be continuing on. Here's my first question for you, Tom. This is the first time we've had a chance to meet and see each other on video. Jim, do you remember the first time we met? Uh, yeah, was let me think. Was that at that was that in California? Yep. So far, so good. So far, so good. Let me think. California, <laughs> where would we been? We were at probably um, a Stellar's place. No. It was a Hawk Hawkheim uh, close quarter combat event. Right. It was up in Sacramento. Oh, Keith Miller's. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Keith. Yeah. Well, Keith is now in Kentucky or something like oh, that. Oh. Okay. Yeah. You were um, there as a guest instructor for ground fighting. 
Right. I, had, I had my friend from um, Argentina, uh, Argentina there. I uh, remember, yeah. Right. And uh, you had me actually in a leg lock. And <laughs> you had me up on my shoulders and you look down, you go, oh, Mike, I, I'm sorry. I didn't know it was you. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. That's so you finish the leg lock and then that's it. <laughs> that that's it. Then I left the seminar in disgrace. <laughs> that was funny. I do remember. God damn, that was a long time ago. Holy shit. When was that then? And how did you how did you how did you meet Hawk? Because Hawk always brings people together, right? And he's yeah. obviously brought you guys together. You know, right. I, originally, I, I originally met Hawk Hawkheim um, up in San Jose, I think, at a, a martial arts seminar, a one-day seminar. He was a guest instructor, and I'd never, I'd heard his name before, but I, I didn't really know what he was all about. I knew he right. was a big knife guy, because that was back when he had the Knife Congress. Right, that was great. Yeah, yeah. and he was teaching a class called Ground Knife Fighting. And I thought, holy moly, ground knife fighting. I've never even thought about that. <laughs> I thought, yeah. I better go and check it out. Yeah. So I did. I was really impressed with how he taught and how he organized stuff and, and you know, all the stuff on the ground and, and the, you know, the, the knife, counter knife stuff and the different grips and, you know, just, just everything, you know, his stories and his energy. And, and I just thought, well, I should, here's a guy that's been there, done that, you know, in the military, in the police, martial arts. Um, he's connecting all those things together. I really, really like that philosophy of his, mm -hmm. his job is to connect, you know, the four different groups, the aware citizen, the martial artist, uh, the police and the military, all of which have their own take and their own tr really training methods for what we would call self-defense and, right, and right. he has connected them together and they can all learn from each other. One group doesn't know everything. That's and, for sure. And they're all specialized. So I really, I really took to that. And then when I heard that he had his first close quarter combat uh, uh, training camp, which was in Des Moines in 2002, I signed up for that and participated in that and several others afterwards. Going back, how did you get into it in the first place? Were you like a lifelong martial artist or was it like career related? Uh, no, no, I, I grew up doing martial arts from the age of nine. I, I have been doing uh, a Hawaiian style of jiu-jitsu called Danzan, the Danzan style. And that was created by uh, Henry Okazaki in Hawaii in the, in the 20s and 30s. And uh, he was an eclectic martial artist. He, of course, studied the traditional Japanese style that was there on the Big Island, which is the Yoshin style of jiu-jitsu. But he was exposed to many different things there, Hawaiian lua, uh, Filipino escrima, which he called Filipino knife play at that time. Uh, of course, judo, uh, other styles of jiu-jitsu. When he went to Japan, he trained in Japan for a period of time. And... Um, other things, he learned qu quite a bit of restoration massage, not only the Japanese style, but the Hawaiian Lua style, and was very well known um, on the island of Oahu for his ability to heal uh, using his elbow, his palm, and his fingers. And as you grow up in the Danzan style, 
that's something that you are trained in um, as you go through the, the training you know, progression. If somebody gets hurt, you should be able to massage their neck, give them a headache massage, work on their shoulders. It's, it's a full body restoration massage technique that you learn along with your fighting art. I always thought that was important to learn the healing art as well as the fighting art. Mm, see, that, that missed me. <laughs> I never, I never studied that. I guess that's probably what I should do. So when you go back, right, you, how did, I'm reading your whole bio, holy shit. You know, you ended up going to Japan at 18, is that right? Yeah, so I, you know, I did my, my thing growing up doing jujitsu. And at the age of uh, 18, I was invited by some friends that lived in Japan. And they said, hey, you know, we're getting ready to travel back to the U.S. to go to, to college. But why don't you come here to Japan, spend the summer with us, uh, and you can do your martial arts thing. And then, you know, go back and you can right, do right. Your, your college thing. So my dad and mom um, helped me do that. The idea was spend the summer there. I had happened to have seen Don Drager do a demonstration four years earlier when my dad um, had taken us to live in Reston, Virginia. He worked for the Pentagon there um, as part of the RAND Corporation. He was a liaison between the, the RAND Corporation and the Pentagon. You know, my dad, as many dads are, they know everything, right? So, <laughs> they do. They do. He heard, that's their job. He heard that Don Drager was coming across the United States with um, some other instructors from Japan as part of Camp Bushido, which is a uh, Olympic mm. judo training camp. And that wow. was going to be in uh, on the, on the uh, Pacific Coast, in the Midwest, and on the East Coast. So he said when they come to the East Coast, they're going to be demonstrating classical martial arts, the Koryu of Japan, the samurai fighting arts of Japan. First time ever demonstrated in the United States. So let's go. So he brought my brother and myself and a couple of other um, jiu-jitsu students that we were teaching in Virginia. I was probably 13, 14. And we saw Don Drager and these two little Japanese guys demonstrate the Joe and the Pusarigama, you know, the sickle with the right, chain right, and right. the end and, you know, really amazing stuff. And it really captured my attention. So I went out the next day and bought the book Asian Fighting Arts by Don Drager and Robert W. Smith was amazed and blown away about all these amazing fighting arts, you know, besides Shirinji Kempo, Tate, and Judo and Jiu-Jitsu and all the other stuff in Japan. You've got the Thai boxing and the Eskrima and the this, all the Chinese stuff. I'm like, how do these how do these guys know all this? You know, I would like I would like to be these guys, one of these guys, I'd like to be one of these guys. That's yeah, kind of yeah. what my 13-year-old mind was thinking. <laughs> so flash forward four years from there, and I get this invitation to go to Japan. And my dad, who knows everything, says, why don't you write to Don Drager? He makes his, um, his base out of Tokyo. And I said, well, how am I going to do that? You know, I, I don't know his address. This is, of course, way before <laughs> internet. You actually had to write a letter. Yeah. webs and yeah, all that. Yeah. So he said, write to the publisher of his book, Kodansha International, and they'll, they'll get the letter to it. Yeah, so wow. I did. I wrote to the publisher. And sure enough, a month before I left, I got a letter from Don Drager. No and, kidding. No that was kidding. like a handwritten letter from Don. Tight, tight, tight. Letter. 
and it's on an aerogram. Now, do, do you guys know what an aerogram is? I do not. Okay. An aerogram is one sheet of paper, blue, with the postage embossed on the paper. And you fold it up to be about the size of a postcard, and then you mail that. Oh. And the idea is if you're backpacking around or something, you can have pre-purchased a bunch of these aerograms. You can write them out, fold them up, and mail them wherever mm -hmm. you are. Okay. Why, why would you want that, that postage embossed on the paper? Because in places like Indonesia, where Don Drager was doing a lot of his research, even the guys that work, were working in the post office would peel off postage stamps and steal them. So you would have to have the po the postage embossed on the paper. That was kind of the purpose of the aerogram. What did he say in his letter? He said, I almost memorized it. Dear Mr. Belzer, your letter from my publisher, Kodansha International, um, has just sifted down to me. Um, I'll be in the jungles of Borneo doing research for a book soon. <laughs> and I wish to establish contact with you at this time. What do you have in mind? You mentioned you purchased Asian fighting arts. Was it the hard cover or the soft cover? And if it was the latter, in which area did you purchase it? Best, John Drager. So then you obviously followed up and right. hunt. What you, you have to hunt him down in Japan, or did you make arrangements? Well, well of course, I, I wrote him right back and um, introduced myself. Hi, I'm Mike Belzer. I'm 18. I'm a Nidon in Jiu-Jitsu. I want to come to Japan, learn martial arts. And about... Two weeks before I left for Japan, I got another letter. Type single space this time. And it was basically, dear Mike, thanks for your introduction. Uh, I will be out of the country doing research for this book by the time you get here, but I'll meet you when, you, when I return. If there's any way that I can introduce you to Udo or Jitsu, I'll be most happy to do so. Um, in the meantime, when you get here, um, if you run into trouble or need to make contact with somebody, contact my good friend and student, Howard Alexander at this number. He will help you. He knows your name. Make sure you mention my name. Um, I'll see you when I return. Best, Don Drake. Wow. So now how would, real quick, you'd study just where I guess California. How did you come so open to these ideas of just training with like a Don or a Drager and all these other people? Because Mostly when people start a particular martial art, they're just stuck in whatever that might be, Kung Fu yeah. or Wing Chun. How would, were you so open so early to this, well, these ideas? You know, the, the Okazaki system is an eclectic system. It's combined many training methods and techniques from different styles. And so the, the style itself is open to all of that. My you. particular teacher, Jim Marcinkus, um, also really encouraged us after we got our black belt to go out and study other things. You, you're interested in kicking, go learn Hapkido, come back, bring it back to us. You want to learn more about, about uh, throws and pins, go do judo, come back, show it to us, that kind of thing. There was always that experience kind of coming up through the ranks. So I go to Japan. I decide that I want to focus my time doing Aikido. So I was, I actually went to the Budokan, uh, which is the official martial arts organization in Japan, in Tokyo. I met with some people there. I told them what I wanted to do. They wrote me a letter. They called for a car. Basically, I was delivered in a limousine um, to the Aikido headquarters 
in Tokyo, in Shinjuku, with this letter of introduction from the Budokan. <laughs> Why? How? I don't know. I'm just some 18-year-old kid that went there. You know, nothing, nobody special. But this is just how the Japanese are and were at that time. Uh, so I went to the, um, the front desk. They gave the letter. They said, okay, you're, you're welcome to be here. They got me signed in and helped me get set up in my first day of training. Uh, and because I could already roll and fall from all my jujitsu, they just threw me into a regular Aikido class and they were doing Swade Waza, or all their techniques on the knees. And within 15 minutes, I had really bloody knees. So that was my introduction to training in Japan. I ended up uh, connecting with people immediately there, other foreigners that were living there, uh, found a place to live right, right around the corner in a small Rokujo, a small six mat room, was there training in Aikido every day. And I did make contact with this friend of Don Drager's and student, um, Howard Alexander. He invited me to meet him, I did. I told him I was interested in doing something a little different. And he said, oh, well, if you wanna do something interesting, why don't you come to my stick fighting dojo? I thought, wow, stick fighting. I was brought to the Rembukan, which uh, was the dojo of Don Drager. I didn't know this at the time. Uh, it was the dojo of Shimizu Takaji, the 25th headmaster of Shindo Musoryu Jodo and Jojitsu, uh, stick fighting arts, four foot staff. And I began training there. So I didn't know exactly where I was. I didn't know it was the dojo of Don Drager. I didn't know it was the dojo of his teacher, Shimizu Takaji. I just knew it was at this cool stick fighting dojo. Um, it wasn't until several months later that Don Drager was coming to the dojo and they, the people there said, hey, Don Drager's coming to the dojo. I thought, oh, cool, I can finally meet him. So he came, didn't have a chance to meet him in the beginning, but he trained with everybody and it was a small group. And at the end, I went over, introduced myself and he said, oh, the California kid, great, <laughs> you made it. You know, and then from across the room, I saw him standing and talking to his teacher, Shimizu Takaji, the small little Japanese guy, that was part of that original demonstration I saw four years ago. And I, it finally clicked. Oh, that little Japanese guy, that was one of the guys that was demonstrated with Don Drager. And I just blurted out, I know you guys from across the room. And they, they kind of looked at me and laughed. Uh, but it was the first time that I realized, wow, I'm training in the dojo of Don right. Drager. And it was just, you know, cool for an 18-year-old kid. Mike, just for those that don't know who, who Don is, I mean, you, you've, I, I was familiar with him via um, Hawk mentioning him before. And since then, his name's come up a lot. You know, those that know, know. And you've furnished me with a document. But, you know, give, give us your, your overview of this guy because he's an absolute legend and a hopologist, which you could probably explain what that means. Right. Don Drager, back in the 60s and the 70s, was really, you know, the man when it comes to martial arts. If, if you were in martial arts at that time, you were always looking for the next book from Don Drager and amazed by all the different things that he was able to, to put out there, whether it was Asian fighting arts that gave a whole overview of, of pretty much all the fighting arts throughout Asia and Southeast Asia, along with Robert W. Smith, his co-author, 
the trilogy that came after that, classical Budo, Bujitsu, modern Budo and Bujitsu, that really laid out the differences between kind of the, the modern martial ways that are really more about personal development versus the Bujitsu, which are really more about the fighting arts of Japan and the kind of the, the differences between the two and how they can be confused and that kind of thing. You had the Indonesian fighting arts, which was all about Penjak Silat. Most people just didn't know that he was going to Southeast Asia every year for many, many years studying uh, Penjak Silat and all the other arts related to that in Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, Brunei, uh, Java, that whole area. And he was working on another three volume series that was all about Penjak Silat. Uh, before he died, and he died in uh, 1982. So he was the first foreigner that was allowed to study these Koryu martial arts. The first one was Shindo Musoryu Jojutsu, and the second one was Katori Shintoryu Kenjutsu. Uh, and, and these are just two classical martial arts that uh, have been around for you know hundreds and hundreds of years. He was the first foreigner that was allowed to start training, and that was because of that, other foreigners have been allowed to, to practice these arts, and now these, these arts are practiced throughout the world. You know, we could spend the whole, the whole time talking about him. He made the most impression about, on me about martial arts and about how to, to be a martial artist and how to kind of comport yourself in the martial arts world. You know, he was just one of those very inspiring um, people. Give us, say, a few of the top learnings that you had from him and the influence, the influence that he had. I, I, I'm going to get onto the Philippines stuff in a bit. Well, it's interesting because both, you mentioned the Philippines, um, both Don Drager and Dennis, Dan Inosanto, who was a, a teacher I sought out because of Don Drager, they wrote the same things in their books when they, they signed their books for me. Don Drager wrote, huh. Dear Mike, keep training. Best Don. And Dan Inosanto, you know, a decade later writes, Dear Mike, keep training. Thanks for all your help in class. Dan Inosanto. <laughs> <laughs> so that's number one. Keep training. Don't think that you know everything. Don't think you know really anything. You know, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't learn. That's number one. Keep an open mind. Let other people, the teachers of these arts, show you their method. You know, don't go in with your preconceived ideas of, I already know that, or I can already do that, or that wouldn't work, or blah, blah, blah. Keep, just keep an open mind and, and ask questions that will help you learn. Kind of keep your priorities. You know, he was all martial arts all the time, really seven days a week, 24 hours a day. But he knew that he was working with mere mortals and his priorities were always um, family first, work second, training third. And just, you know, let's keep it in perspective, okay, people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh -huh. let's not go off the deep end completely. But he was just somebody that was uh, a, a warrior scholar for sure. He joined the, the Marine Corps at age 15. Wow. Yeah, he had permission from his parents to do that. Uh, he came up through the ranks in the Marine Corps. He became an officer. 
Uh, he saw action in, in World War II and Korea. He had so many firsts in Japan, the first foreigner to be uh, allowed to study these old martial arts, the Koryu, the first foreign judo instructor at the Kodokan, you know, the, the first foreigner allowed to compete in Jukendo matches. What are Jukendo matches? It's kind of like kendo, only it's a wooden uh, rifle with a bayonet on it. Wow. So, wow. Yeah, but it's against kendo gear. Okay. Right. I've never so, even heard of that. Correct. Yeah. And I, I, I would think it would be pretty awesome. So he's the I first, think so. first foreigner allowed to do that. Um, and he did so well that they asked him to please stop competing because he That's was funny. Was, he was only winning. And what's really interesting to me is that he credits his training in Shindo Musoryu Jiu-Jitsu with the staff for his wins in Jukendo. It, it wasn't necessarily connected to bayonet, you know, fighting that he did in the Marine Corps, you know, with the, yeah, the rifle yeah. and bayonet. It's just interesting. Uh, the other thing, I, the main thing is that he was, uh, you know, besides 6'2", 220, all-muscle warrior dude. Sounds like he's describing you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. I'm sorry, I had to get that dig in there. It was right there, man. <laughs> Besides all that, he was really kind. Why would he write to Mikey Mike Belzer? Why? Why? You know, I'm who am I? I'm nobody. I'm just I'm just some kid that wrote to him. But not only did he write me back, but he wrote everybody back. Yeah, and that's what was really interesting to me. To me, it sounds quite unique what you're doing. Like, but they they rolled out the red carpet to you. He wrote back to you. This all sounds like sort of fairy tale story. But you you think it was just you don't think you were lucky. You think this is what they did. Well, it's both. I was extremely lucky, um, and, and it's how they were. It's who who they are. Whether it was the Japanese, right? You know how they delivered me to the Aikido um, headquarters, or whatever. You know, that was that was just how they were. And then it was a combination of, you know, how Don Drager was himself at just the way he handled himself in daily activities, you know. And a note on the hopology word, because I, I meant, referenced it before, but I think a lot of people have never heard the term. Right. So hopology. Hopology. Um, hopology. I knew I'd be saying it wrong. Well, yeah, I knew it. Here's the thing: the, the hopology, that's the that is the study of bunnies. <laughs> Tom is a big fan of bunnies. I should probably cut all this out then, but we'll, we'll so, I'll make it sound like I knew exactly what I was no, saying. You better leave that in, Tom. Keep it in because everybody says hopology because it's a kind of a mouthful. Hoplology. It really uh, is. It is. But okay, so hoplology, hoplite. It's a Greek word that that means yeah. armored warrior. Okay, so hoplology is uh, the study of warriors' weapons and their fighting systems. And Don Drager uh, read a book called The Book of the Sword by Sir Richard Burton, who wrote the book back in the mid 1800s. And um, he was also a world traveler, an explorer. 
he was a swordsman and he studied the sword and other weapons and fighting systems of whatever culture he was visiting. And he coined the term hoplology. So modernized it and uh, reformulated it because he took all of the experiences that he was having and he wanted to study world martial culture. He wanted to study human combative behavior. And that all comes under the term of hoplology. And he was in the process of writing the first book of hoplology along with a co-author named Richard Hayes. This was all happening in the last 15 years of his life. Now, if you don't mind, uh, I'm just gonna segue off onto this because it'll bring in a couple of other people that we had talked about. Sure. This. Okay, so I'm 22, I'm back from Japan, right? I was, I was in Japan for nine months. It was like, I was there, supposed to be there three, I stayed nine, then I came back to go to college. Okay, so I receive a letter from this co-author of Hoplology textbook, Richard Hayes. And he says, Dear Mike, I received your name from Don Drager. He said you were a teacher of Don Zunru and you could help me with these questions I have about Professor Wally Jay and his new system of jujitsu that he's created, which is called the small circle mm-hmm. bit of jujitsu. Wally Jay was an original student of Professor Okazaki in Hawaii under the Danzan system. But now he has gained skill and experience in many other things, sport judo, Kodokan judo, trained with Bruce Lee, a a lot of other things, and has created this this new, uh, different style of of jiu-jitsu. Okay, so he says, if you make these smaller circles, you're going to change your stancing, and you're going to change this, and you're going to change that. If you make one change here, it'll change everything. You know, can you please explain blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking at this letter, handwritten. God, I have no idea what you are talking about. (laughs) So I wrote him back. I said, you know, dear Mr. Hayes, thanks for your letter of whatever. I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Start from the beginning. And he writes back, dear Mike, thank you for your letter of blah, blah, blah. First, there was the Big Bang. (laughs) And then the universe was formed. And he wasn't joking. He went on to describe the Stone Age, the Bronze Age, the rise of the city-state, the the small groups of hunter-gatherers, everything. And this started a, a pen pal relationship that lasted for uh, almost 30 years. He wrote all this stuff, uh, hand, handwritten. It's just, it, it blows me away just to think about it. And um, we eventually got around to what this small circle jujitsu stuff was. But the, the point is, is that I established a pen pal relationship with the co-author of the, the textbook on hoplology that Don Drager was writing. Okay, so, uh, this goes on, and I, now, now we're at the point now where he's writing three or four letters a week to me. He's sending me boxes of books, okay, that are underlined, highlighted, arrows, explanations in the margins, uh, very imp- must read, blah, blah, blah. His issue is that he, in Korea, got some sort of autoimmune disease uh, when he was in the war. He's not exactly the guy in the bubble. 
but he is allergic to everything. And so he is basically alone in, a, in an apartment. He's married, but his wife lives next door to him. Uh, his wife, she happens to be Japanese. Her mother is still alive. They live in the unit next door. They take care of him. He is allergic to everything, all fabrics. So he's basically naked. <laughs> That's so funny. Metal bed with a saucepan for a pillow. Wow. Okay. He has an electric heater next to him to keep him heated. And all he does all day is read. He reads books, you know, and magazines and articles and journals. And then he writes to these authors because he has questions. And that's what happened with Don Drager. He read a Don Drager book. He, he had questions. He wrote, Don Drager wrote him back um, and said, you know, the answers to your questions will be in more of my books. He writes back more. They get a thing going. And then finally, Don Drager said, I like how you think. Um, you've motivated me now to focus more on creating this textbook. I would like you to be the co-author. And wow, so, that's an yeah. incredible so, story. Incredible. So that keeps going, all right? Now, still, I'm 22. This is like 79. Mike, can I give you one little um, interruption, which is I, I have a Wally J link, which is the Filipino martial art that I do, Rapid Arnis, draws influence from other arts. Right. And the lock flow that we do, which is 18 or 21, if they're fucking with you, is... Yeah is all from Wally J, small circle jujitsu. But okay. it was Lewis J, who is, son, who is his son, who lives in Surrey, which is just below London, yeah, who taught it to Pat and the guys for FMA. Anyway, continue. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's a small world, you know, and exactly. we're more connected than we think. So anyway, you know, things are going like this, letters back and forth, including from Don Drager. He's doing some, some courses at the University of Hawaii. I'm not able to go there to take the classes, but I'm able to write letters of interest, and I have my friends write letters of interest. Anyway, I get an invitation to attend the first international stick fighting training camp in Malaysia in 1979, taught by Don Drager. Wow. Wow. Okay. So now I've got the mental picture I have is remember the, the opening scene in Enter the Dragon, you know, with yeah, with, yeah. Where they're all lined up and the cry punches. Hey, oh, I think it's going to be like that. Only everybody's carrying these four foot staffs. Be at the end of the line, looking, you know, jumping up, trying to see Don Drager teaching whatever he's going to be teaching. And I'm thinking, yes, awesome. I'm there. Sign me up. All right. So I followed the directions in this invitation, which came from one of his students in Malaysia, the leader of Shindo Musoryu in Malaysia. And, you know, you got to get your passport, you got to get your shots, and you got to come to this airport and take this bus and go to this um, hotel and check in with this guy. So I write him back. I say, I'll do all that. And I also write the same letter to Don Draper. Here's my plan. He writes back, Dear Mike, you know, it's, it is I who must thank you. This is a, going to be a sacrifice, I know, but it will be great for you because of all the things you'll learn and the fellowship and this and that. You really won't believe it. Um, I didn't want to mention this because of fears that it might, it might mess up your planning, 
but at some point we would like you to be with us on a longer trip these three-month expeditions that go throughout Southeast Asia to be part of our group that will be studying the different tribes and their weapons and systems for our hoplology work. Um, just know that you're part of the family and you know we would like you to be with us and it will happen someday soon. In the meantime, if you wanna fly the cheap way, if you wanna go the cheap way like me, um, fly, just fly to Japan, we will go to, to Thailand and take the, the 25 hour train ride into Malaysia. Let me know which way you wanna go, gone. Wow. So, okay. So first, I'm gonna go to this martial arts camp taught by Don Drager, awesome. Now I'm being invited to go travel with him. There, it must be a group. There must be a group of guys that are meeting him to go. That makes sense, eight, eight guys gonna go, makes sense. Turns out that he picked me up at the airport and um, took me to his two-room apartment. So it's like a 10-mat room, like a six-mat and a four-mat. Each mat is like four feet by six feet. So pretty small place. But two rooms uh, gets me set up there, takes me around to a couple of different teachers that he wants to say goodbye to before we go. And he says there was one other guy that was supposed to come with us but he got sick, so it's just you and me. Let's go. So we fly to Thailand, we take the, the 25 hour train ride into Malaysia. And because I had been in contact with his co-author, his co-author, Richard Hayes, had given me many different questions to ask him. And so I had a list of 25 questions to ask Don Drager and I said, can I interview you along the along this trip he said sure fire away so i did that and what has happened from that flash forward all the way to now this this period of time um i'm 62 now at the age of 60 i decided i would like to do something to commemorate don drager who died at the age of 60 and um uh i created a a powerpoint presentation about Don, the life of Don Drager and his impact on the martial arts. And I used six audio tapes that I had received from Richard Hayes, who had received from Don Drager. That was all about hoplology and what they were gonna put in the book and you know, can we label it like this? And maybe we should call it that, okay? But these are personal audio tapes that nobody else has heard. They came from Don Drager to Richard Hayes after Drager died, Hayes sent them to me. And he said, Mike, I want you to have these for safekeeping because I've got my own health challenges. I don't know what's going to happen to me. I want you to have them. So back in the 80s, Drager died in 82. I took excerpts out of these tapes and I made one edited tape, you know, a mixed tape. Remember those? So uh, <laughs> I did a mixed tape and I called it Don Drager Speaks to You. And I sent it out to a few people, not, not many, so that if it would feel like if you were interested in yeah. Don Drager, like Tom, you know, I'm, I'm interested in Don Drager, I could send you this tape and it would sound like Don Drager speaking to you. Because I, I didn't know it when I was making the tape, but really what it was when you listen to it is I recreated the interview that I had with him on this train ride. 
And yeah. so you learn all about hoplology. You learn about the center that they were going to create in Hawaii. Um, you learn about some of his experiences growing up as a kid, uh, learning jujitsu and uh, and training, not training, but but spending summers with Chippewa Indians and hunting with them, um, becoming a Marine, um, a, the big fight that he and another guy had in the Marine Corps when they were in China, you know, stuff that he, he was a very private person, so he would never share this type of stuff, just just talking, you know. So I use these tapes, uh, this edited version, along with photos and video um, to talk about his life. And it's a personal presentation that I've been making um, over the last couple of years. So at the end of this presentation, lasts about an hour, you feel like you've met Don Drake because you've listened to him, he's speaking to you, right? You've heard his voice, you heard the vibration. Um, you've seen pictures of him. You get that feeling. You've seen videotape of him doing his thing. And, um, I, you know, I think it's the best way for somebody to learn about Don Drager. And is that something that you're planning to make available to everyone at any time? You know, that sounds like a good kind of audio book slash YouTube thing or... I have a good friend, Rich Kazmarek, um, who is working with me on this, and it's a matter of cleaning up the video uh, and, and doing some work on that. We're in the process of doing that, and yes, it can be and it should be. Uh, it should be done in a, in, a, in a professional way that anybody should be able to, to do. When, when is that going to happen? I, I don't have any completion date, but stay tuned. <laughs> so... I, I hope I'm not torturing you too much with all the detail. Oh. So did the camp, all right? We get, we get there. Uh, at the camp, training three times a day for five days at this camp. That's awesome. That's very specific. You know, you're learning beginning techniques, the kata, the middle techniques, and depending on where you are, you know, you're, you're working on different stuff. Great. Doing that. That's done. Then he says at the end, okay, I've got about two weeks before the rest of the group comes and we're going to go out on our three-month trek. If you are interested, uh, you can visit some of the instructors I am interviewing for future books. You can take pictures with them. You can interview them about their styles. Would you like to do that? Uh, yes, please. <laughs> so he takes me to see Chai Kim. The, the Shaolin guy. Watch how they do their forms and their applications. He's also a bone setter, a healer. So he shows you how he works on, on people's injuries and stuff, and the liniments that they use. He takes me to the Phoenix Eye Fist guy. Phoenix Eye Fist guy uses his first knuckle, and he uses that to attack the vital spots. And get interviewed with him, and take pictures with him. The way I did it with these guys is I had like five different attacks. If, if I gave you a headlock, what would you do? If I gave you a punch to the face, you know, sucker punch to the face, what would you do? If I grabbed you from behind a bear hug, what would you do? That was my approach with all these guys. And they, then they would show me their, their responses. The six-fingered healer. Uh, turns out in Southeast Asia, there's a thing, some, some genetic thing that goes on. And sometimes there's a, an additional small little finger that comes out on, on the end of your hand. And some guys have six fingers. So this particular dude, Master Tan, was very good at using a backhanded method of 
massaging hard your injuries to produce uh, blood flow. And then they put a herbal wrap on it and then uh, miraculously you'd have a healing. And sure enough, he worked on my elbow that had been jacked up before I went on this trip and it did greatly improve it. So that's interesting. He took me to the Indian Salam bomb guys. What's Salam bomb? Indian stick fighting that had a lot of other weapons involved in it. Uh, deer antlers that were created into weapons. Uh, so very interesting stuff. Took me to to meet the we call them Don Draker called them the butcher, uh, combat Tai Chi guy. Most people don't know that Tai Chi does have some pretty awesome combat applications, and this guy could really do it. So uh, he demonstrated his method, and it was one of those things where we were having lunch. That, this guy took hold of my hand. He looked at my hand and then just kind of threw it away with a little look of disgust on his face and said something to Traeger and through the interpreter, the interpreter said, he says that you have, um, you have baby hands that have done nothing. <laughs> and Traeger said, said, you can attack him um, if you want. And, you know, just to see what he would do. He won't hurt you. So he was sitting kind of, off to my left at, at an angle, you know, hands on his on his thighs. And I thought I could grab his elbow and his wrist and maybe get him into a wrist lock or something. As I grabbed, he stood up and just kind of bumped me with his shoulder into my sternum. You know, just had me at that perfect off balance and I went flying away. He was able to reach around and grab me so I wasn't gonna fly into a bike that was parked you know, next to us. Took me to other guys and, you know, just the Master Raman, the Penchak Silat guy, who at age 64, you know, looked like a bodybuilder. And I asked him, do you guys have joint locks in what you do? And so there's a series of pictures taken by Don Drager of this guy putting me in this finger lock and this choke and this arm lock. Uh, so, yes, it was the highlight of my martial arts career. It still is. And he takes me to the airport and I, I, Look at him like I, I can't even just does thank you even begin to say what I'm what I'm feeling here. He said he just held up his hand, his hand. He said, no words are necessary. Next time you'll come on the big trip. And I said, what should I be doing when I go back to California? He said, you should be studying a weapons based system because the empty hand stuff just isn't going to teach you what weapons stuff can teach you. Did you get what he meant by that when he said it? Because I've gone through that same journey of going being an empty hand guy to picking up weapons, and it's, yeah. it's improved my empty hand game so much. Yeah, it, uh, there's a lot of, of distancing that you just wouldn't get, you know, empty-handed. Eye-hand coordination, uh, reflexes, you know, faster coordination, I think, between, you know, both hands and both feet. So that that's how I got onto... Dan and Asanto. I was looking for that, something like that. And I found a Filipino Kali Academy in Torrance. And, and that's how I sought out Dan and Asanto. But it turns out that that 1979 expedition uh, was the fateful expedition that everyone got poisoned on. They were visiting uh, a tribe uh, in Indonesia called the Aceh tribe. And they got poisoned. Uh, this tribe had not been visited by white people before. The medicine man of the group decided, you know, we're going to test 
the power of these guys. And they think that they had feces put in their food. So everybody got really sick. They all ended up in the hospital of anemic dysentery. Some of them stayed in the hospital for six weeks. They all recovered, but it, for Drager, it was the beginning of a downward spiral. He got cancer of the liver and died of cancer of the liver uh, in 1982. Oh, at, the age of 60. Yeah. at 60, yeah, young. young. So that's my Don Drager story. He, he is the most influential guy that, that has affected my martial arts experience, even though I've, you know, I've spent much more time training as Dan and Asanto's student or coming up in the Danzan style with my own teacher, Jim Marcinkus, or training with Wally J, or training with Hawk Hockheim, or Cliff Stewart, or Bob Koga. All of these people I'm mentioning now just because they've it greatly affected how I approach martial arts. But if you had to name one, it would be Don Drake. I wanted to ask you about the Philippines and then move on to some of the stuff that you're doing now. So, so um, just because I went through in the summer, uh, I got my black belt in the Philippines. It was a, it was a meaningful trip um, to me. Uh, my in instructor, Pat, had trained with um, Illustrissimo, I think, uh, back awesome. in like the 80s or something like that. But can you tell us about that trip that you, you did? Sure. So, you know, I, of course, I always wanted to do the big three-month trip that, that uh, Don Drager was doing. And I figured I'll just do it on my own. Um, I, I have been introduced to hoplology from Don Drager. I've been in, in uh, pen pal partnership with his co-author for years. I've been by this time training under Dan and Santo for six years. I've learned the basics of Kali Eskrima Arnis. I was 28 at the time. I was in good shape. I thought I could take care of myself if I had to. So I created a plan to go to the Philippines and I did. Went to the Philippines and again, fantastic luck. You know, you, you, you land at the airport, backpack, you take the bus, get into Manila to the Manila YMCA. Because I've had good experience with Don Drager and others staying at different YMCAs in, in Penang or in Bangkok or wherever you can, a lot of these YMCAs have residential um, housing at cheap. So that's what I did. I got off at the YMCA and I, there was a guy uh, that was kind of hanging out by the front desk and he eyeballed me and I went over and just said, hey, and he said, you know, I, I see that you've got sticks on the outside of your, your backpack. He says, I do, our niece. And I said, uh, I'm here to study Filipino martial arts. He said, I can take you to my teacher. I said, okay. So the first question that I had is, what do I do with all my stuff and my money and my passport? So I thought, put it all in the room and then just go with this guy who I've never met before? Or do I take it all with me? Because you're, you're sharing rooms there you know, back then. So I decided to put my gear in the room, take my money and my passport with me. Okay, 
So that's what I do. And I'm walking with this guy and we're walking into this area called Tondo. Tondo is a really rough area of ghetto of Manila. And it would kind of like be like if Mikey Mike got off at the bus in uh, downtown LA, uh, met by some dude that looked like he'd been around on the streets, if you know what I mean. And I tell him I'm interested in learning, I don't know, hip hop. And um, he says, I can take you to my guy. Well, let's go. And we walk into South Central together. Yeah. But but more crazy because I, I, I've, I've been, I went to M- Manila in 2008, but I wasn't training. But it is, it is rough. And Cebu has it, had its rough bits. I mean, it, it's a violent city. Lot, everyone's carrying weapons. Everyone. Right. So as I'm walking through this area, I'm seeing this guy, Roberto, nodding to different people and smiling and stuff. And wow. You know what? Number one, I don't know where I am or how I would get back to you know, my, my place. And number two, if this guy wanted to, he could just pull out a knife and stab me right now. And there's probably not much I'm going to do about it. But, you know, my spidey sense had not been activated. Everything was feeling okay to me. And sure enough, he took me to his teacher, who happened to be Antonio Illustrissimo, who lived in a corrugated hut in the middle of Tony. And he just introduced me as... This is Mike from Los Angeles. He studies uh, with Dan and Asanto and would like to learn more about our niece. And um, so Illustrissimo just grabbed a, um, he grabbed a metal pole out from the ceiling. And so it was like a metal stick. And he said, I attack, you defend. And so I had a, you know, just a rattan stick gave me an attack. I gave counter and follow-up. He gave another counter follow-up. And he's like, that's good. You, you, know, you know basics. If you want to come and practice with, with us, we're at Rizal Park um, every morning, um, 6, 6.30 in the morning. So Roberto will come and get you. So that's what I started doing. Um, started training with him. Tony Diego was his main guy there, his senior guy. And Illustrissimo was 72 at that time. This was in 1985. So did that for about a month. And then Roberto came to me and said, you know, I know based on what you're telling me about Drager and Hoplology and what he's doing, you want to travel around to different islands and meet different instructors and see what they're doing. Um, I've talked with, with Tatang, that was our name for him, just like uncle. And he has agreed to go with you. He'll be your bodyguard and your interpreter. You're going to need both. So I said, great. You just have to provide rice for his family while he's gone. And we'll be gone about a month. So I said, okie dokie. So suddenly it wasn't just me traveling around. It was Roberto, Illustrissimo, and me. So we called ourselves the Three Musketeers. We set about, we started the, with the island of Mindoro. We visited a tribe up, up in the mountains of Mindoro. We went from Mindoro to Cebu. Uh, we visited Doce Pares and Cacoy uh, Cañete in Cebu. From there, we went down into Negros, the island of Negros. From there, we went down to Mindanao, 
Zamwenga. How do you pronounce it? Zamwenga? Zim- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I've, I've, I've been to Boracay, Cebu and surrounding bits, but yeah, I'm not an expert. We even went down to a little island, Illustrissimo's home island. It was, it was way south. It, the, the name is blanking on me right now, but maybe it'll come back. Anyway, we made it all the way down there. Each place we went, Roberto was able to make contact with different teachers. And then we went to visit the teachers, interviewed them, learned their names, their styles, gave them attacks, they showed their stuff. But the important thing is before we started this trip, Roberto said, you, are, you should give me half your money. Yeah, I like this story, yeah. yeah. I said, huh? He said, I said, why should I give you half my money? He said, because you're considered a rich American and, and we aren't, we have no money. And so if we are traveling with you and you get robbed and they take all your money, all three of us are marooned here, wherever we are. So give me half your money and I will take care of it. So I did. And he was a, a, an honest young man. Every day he would come to me and say, okay, here's what we spent. We had to pay this for the taxi and this for, for the food and this for this and the room. Here's how much we have left here at the seats. And we did this throughout the trip. So I, I just thought that was a, it was an interesting part of the experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've really put in your faith in, in them at that stage. But it worked. And it was really amazing and cool to be training directly with Illustrissimo every day because, you know, we had time to kill as we're waiting to go, you know, take take the bus or take the, the jeepney or take the banca, you know, the boat. Um, we're on the beach and we're camping out and, and all of a sudden we're awakened in the middle of the night because... Um, people are screaming down the beach and they were, why are they screaming? They saw ghosts. And so Illustrissimo starts yelling at the ghosts and challenging them to fights. And, you know, it's just weird, interesting stuff that you just aren't going to get exposed to in Los Angeles. Yeah. That's like sort of 80s or or was even early, early 90s. And then you started working with Hawk and moved into a lot more combatives, maybe slightly away from some of the Asian martial arts and culminating in some of the work. I mean, you've just been in Australia doing a lot of combatives work. Do you want, do you want to tell us how you evolved for like the last sure. period or Thank you. Where, where you're at now even? Yeah. So in 1992, we were, by we, I mean, a, a group that I was working with um, doing Uh, what we call now adrenal stress scenario training. But back then, it was a women's self-defense program that originally started as model mugging. But the Los Angeles group broke out on its own and it became impact personal safety. I saw a demonstration of this training method using the full protective gear. It's a full football helmet with two and a half inches of foam, football shoulder pads, super groin protector, very important. Um, hip, knee, shin, and thigh protectors, there is an opportunity for students to practice against these guys in, in this full protective gear, full force and full speed, just like you would normally have to do it. You don't have to hold back. Poke him in the eye, chop him in the throat, knee him in the groin, knee him in the head. It is, it's a chance to go all out without having to get into the ring. And just a little side note, I'm not interested in the ring. 
I don't want to be pushed up into the corner and have somebody beat the shit out of me. And I don't want to do that to anybody else either. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I would like good training, solid training that I can count on it in a crisis. But I don't really want to get hurt along the way too much. And I don't want to hurt anybody else. So this training method seemed to answer a lot of that. Plus, when I saw the demonstration of it, you could tell that these women were obviously adrenalized. You, know, you saw shaking of the hands, you know, you saw dilated pupils, uh, but they weren't frozen. And when they actually got attacked, um, they were fighting like banshees. They were fighting like, oh my God, I hope I don't run into her in a dark alley because she can hurt you. This was my experience, you know, looking at this type of graduation. I thought, God, I wonder what it's like to be in that gear. So I talked to the people running the program and they kind of looked me up and down and said, I think we might have a job for you. So I got fitted for the gear, went through a mugger training program because that's what we called ourselves. And um, uh, you had to take, learn how to take on the character of being a bad guy. Well, how are you going to do that? You know, your mom told you never to say those things. And your mom told you always respect women and an officer and a gentleman would never do this. So how do you become an asshole and recreate some of these really gnarly situations that a lot of women uh, have been exposed to or have already gone through or are dealing with? So we work with therapists as part of the training. We understood how people uh, can get triggered in doing these very realistic scenarios. The class is always co-taught. It's a woman that is teaching the class, delivering the material, because they can they can just relate better to the female student. You know, for for some dude to be teaching women self-defense, you know, it's it's not impossible, but you know, it's just not very relatable. So you have a woman that's able to do it, and the woman student looks at it and goes, oh, okay, you know, if she can do it, maybe I can. But if you have Don Drager teaching women self-defense, they might look at him and go, well, you can do it, but what can I do? You know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So there's, there's that relatability aspect of it. All right, so we've got to learn how to say some of the nasty things. You've got to learn how to recreate some of these things. Turns out, I'm a pretty good mugger. Um, why? How is that? How can I say these things? How can I do these things? Because it's part of a complete attack. You know, if, if, I'm, if I'm out on the street and somebody is messing with me, they're going to be verbalizing with me. And if I haven't practiced something, how to deal with this type of thing, I can get thrown off balance. I can get frozen. I can get stunned. Why? Because, sorry, we don't practice that in the dojo. As a matter of fact, it's the exact opposite. We are basically told, shut up and just do it. Um, be quiet, be respectful, don't ask any questions, and uh, stop whining, don't complain. That's the basic dojo experience. You know, you're not taught to interact with somebody. Um, you're not really taught, you know, we were talking about distancing. You're not really taught that if somebody's within one arm's distance of you, you're kind of screwed. You know, if, if I can touch your shoulder, 
I can hit you in the face anytime I want. Yeah. Anytime I want. And I demonstrate this all the time. Um, and I, 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 I give them money. I say, if you can stop my hand from touching your chest, I'll give you $5. You stand arms, you know, I touch their shoulders. They touch my shoulders, our hands at our sides. Are you ready? I'm ready. I don't think you're ready. You ready? Ready. I touch their chest. Most of the time, they can't even get their arm up. Yeah. We do this, yeah. Re this repeatedly. Do this repeatedly. Okay. Then I take one half step back. I say, the bed is off. I'm going to try to touch you again. You do your best to stop. And they can stop me almost 100% of the time. Why is that? Because of reaction time. Pure and simple. I'm not using any special speed. You're not using any special speed. You're just reacting and your your body can do it. You know? So why why is a martial artist getting knocked out, knocked out by a street fighter? Because they're face to face, sometimes they're forehead to forehead, they're chest to chest. And I'm sorry, whoever throws the first punch is gonna make the first contact. That's just how it is. So if if somebody hasn't taught you to understand this and how to maintain your distance or create some sort of verbal interaction, you're just kind of out of luck. And you're hoping that your super secret martial arts technique is going to save. And it just, it just is not going to do. So these realistic scenarios incorporates that type of thing. It incorporates verbalization. It incorporates some de-escalation. Hey man, look, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to disrespect you. I'd like to work this out without getting physical. What can we do? You know, trying to get your hands up in a non-threatening position. Uh, really trying to work it out, you know? Uh, trying not to let your ego get pulled in and just kind of go off the, off the rails into a problem, a physical problem. Because most dudes that are getting into problems are, are there because it's, it's an ego problem. Most women are targeted because it's a, it's a predatory. So, so this is a big part of your focus right now, and, and I guess what you've been doing in Australia. So what does what does the future hold, Mike? What, what, where are you taking martial arts and, in 2019? So my wife, uh, Meredith Gold, uh, has developed her own offshoot of this adrenal stress scenario training. She calls RAW Power. RAW is an acronym for what we feel and she feels is the most important aspects of women's self-defense, uh, general self-defense, being ready, being aware, and being really willing. Okay, so we are teaching together. We teach programs uh, locally here in Los Angeles, but we've gone to different countries. We've been down to Argentina. Uh, we've been other places. And just recently, we were invited to go to Australia. We uh, made contact with Gabriel Schneider, who is part of a, uh, he does both Krav Maga and an Israeli jiu-jitsu program uh, that he learned when he was living in South Africa. He's a professional bodyguard. Uh, and through one of my old students, Noah Greenstone, who's also in Australia, Noah said, hey, uh, Gab, if you are ever in LA, you should look up Mike Belzer. He's got some interesting protective gear. I think you'd find it um, useful for what you're doing. He came along with his uh, training partner, Mac, and we mugged them. Uh, Meredith was, is the coach. I mugged them. They loved it. They loved being able to go full force, full speed, not having to hold back. 
adding the verbalization, uh, trying to do the, the different scenarios. And he said, at some time, we'd like you to come to Australia and uh, bring what you're doing um, to our group. So they have been doing these uh, Modern Warrior Alliance, MWA training camps, which is a Krav Maga Israeli Jiu-Jitsu training camp. And this year, every year they bring different instructors. This year they invited Meredith to come to bring her women's self-defense program, train some of the guys to get in the gear, the groin protector and a modified helmet that could take the eye strike, to become muggers, learn how to say all the bad things, learn the do's and the don'ts, train some of the women to be coaches and to present the material, and then teach a women's self-defense program. So we went, we had two programs, one on the Perth side, the West Coast, and went on one on the Brisbane side, the East Coast. So that's what we did. And it was a three day deal, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And it turns out they were very, of course, interested in the scenario training. So I didn't, I wasn't really planning on it, but I got to bug everybody Friday night, three hours. Um, they have rotating groups, you know, it was 30 people broke out, broken up into three groups, three different instructors. Meredith, Meredith and I were one group of instructors. So 10 people for 45 minutes, rotate. 10 people, 45 minutes, rotate. 10 people, 45 minutes, rotate. So I mugged all 30 people. It gets kind of hot in that gear. Real hot. I've been in those suits as well. And it's uh, real hot. Yeah. And these guys do, and, and women, do hit hard and they do hit fast. But still, it's a different training method. They really liked it. And I said, God, I'm glad that's over. Uh, but the next day came. Saturday, three hours in the morning. Holy crap, I'm glad that's over. Three hours in the afternoon. Holy moly, I can't even believe that I'm doing this. It was a, an amazing test for myself just to be able to do that the entire, the entire session. So at 62, all I can say is I'm glad I survived. Yeah, that's incredible. The one I did was we were doing a sort of press up scenario and then and then you would get up from the press up position and, and just bang as hard as you can. Yeah. And with no gloves or anything like that. But the, the breathing in that um goldfish bowl helmet was yeah. that that was the bit that I found really difficult. And you've you've got you've got the neck protection so you can get punched and it doesn't really do that much damage. But I was really quite gassed wearing that helmet. Yeah, it is, it is an amazing experience. And, and for, for martial artists, we generally recommend at least three muggers because, you know, if I'm mugging you, you're going to handle the situation pretty quickly. And how long does the scenario last? Less than 30 seconds. How, do, how long does a real situation usually last? Probably less than 30 seconds. So, you know, boom, you, you poke me in the eye, chop me in the throat, knee me in the groin. Okay, it's done. Well, how much of a training experience is that really for you? Well, maybe not much. Boom, you're attacked from behind. You, you're, you've been adrenalized, even though you, you might not really feel adrenalized, you are adrenalized. You've lost your tunnel vision. Bang, you're attacked from behind. Um, now, you, whoa, you got to defend yourself. You're in the middle of that. Boom, the third mugger comes in. You're attacked while you're on the ground. So it's, it's that kind of thing for a martial artist. And the guys in the gear, the way we do it is we, we give credit where credit is due. If you kick me in the groin, I'm not going to just go, great kick. 
you know, because I, I really can't feel it. I can feel impact like uh, if you're in a, a bumper car, you know, at the yeah, amusement, you sure. feel impact, but you don't feel the pain. If you felt the pain, you couldn't, you just couldn't do this one after the other after the other, okay? So if you give me a, a righteous kick to the groin, I am going to react like you just kicked me in the groin. I'm going to grab my groin, I'm going to drop to one knee, and I'm going to be verbalizing, oh, God! And then that's going to open up to the knee to the head, and you're going to knee me in the head as hard as you can. I might stuff the knee and take you to the ground, and now we're fighting on the ground, but I'm the diminished fighter. I've just been kneed in the groin really hard, and if you've ever watched a UFC, even though those guys are wearing, you know, sometimes steel cups, they get kicked in the groin. Sorry, got to take a break. Yeah. You know? And they've yeah. got to five minutes. They don't take it, but they have up to five minutes to recover. Um, same thing with the eye poke. You know, hang on. Got poked in the eye. Got to take a break. So uh, we give credit where credit is due. You kick, you chop me in the throat. You know, I'm going to react like you did. That opens up the groin. Boom. You, know, you can take me down, you can actually do throws, uh, but the nature of the gear is that some techniques you can't do. You can't choke me out because you can't, it just won't work. You can't get your arm around there. I believe that you can break my arm. Please don't. I can't defend myself, really. I can just you know, try to stop you from doing that, but just wrap your arm around my arm. My arm. I'll call that a, an arm lock, okay? Please don't kick me in the knee. There is no armor that's going to protect against that. You can kick me in the shin. You can knee me in or, you know, kick me in the thigh. But let, let's hold off on kicking me. Yeah, sure, sure. We've had a few guys injured in JKD because they don't respect that same rule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Mike. So um, is there anything you want to advertise or, or share with our listeners? No, uh, you had asked something about aspirations and, and uh, uh, advice. Um, I think aspirations are just keep training, keep an open mind, uh, you know, let people show you what they're doing. Um, I, I think it's, 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 it's just, it's true every day that the more we learn, the more we realize we don't really know and we need to keep training. You know, I'm, I'm getting older. Uh, I'm, I'm definitely focused on health. I'm focused on recovering from injuries. I think that's really important. And, um, if anybody's interested in connecting with me about the Don Drager presentation, they can do so at email, which is just mpbelzer at gmail.com. And that's B-E-L-Z-E-R. No T. <laughs> All right, Mike. Thanks, man. It's, it's been awesome interviewing you. Finally got it together. Finally. Thank you, Tom. And thank you, Jim. Thank you, guys. All right. Take care. All right. See you later. Peace. Oh, peace. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.